What's going on, guys? How you doing, man? All right. Welcome to another edition of the Rock Stops Here podcast. How did you make it to the top? If you're no longer at the top, what are you doing now? How hard is that? And what's your what's what, 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 what's your advice, man? And um, just about everybody, I think everybody, and I've got probably what now, 120, 30, 40 guests in person, nothing on the phone. Uh, everybody has been a good guy, good person. Everyone, everyone, not a jag off. If you're a jag off, nobody's going to want to deal with you. So be a good person. All right, there you go. And then I hit you up with stories after my guest. And my the topic today is my most embarrassing interviews, my most embarrassing time on TV and or radio, uh, how I got away with some things in broadcasting. <laughs> so you'll want to make sure, I'm going to be honest, after this interview that you stick around, okay? But let me welcome in my guest, the big man, 6566. Now he's 61, looks great, feeling good, Mark Gubiza. He uh, pitched for the Kansas City Royals for 13 years. He's in the Kansas City Royals Hall of Fame. He was their guy, man. I mean, back-to-back all-star. Um, when he retired, he held the Royals franchise record for strikeouts. He was third all-time in wins. He got into broadcasting and never thought that he would be a broadcaster. He got in. He's been doing great. Heck, he's been the Angels uh, color analyst for like, I think it's like 14 years now. So I just, I walked up to him, looked up to him, and I said, you got a few minutes? And he said, sure. And very, very interesting story. And you know what I like? When he was in high school or even pre-high school, he played a lot of different sports. And nowadays, you just don't see that. Everybody, the kid's got to be on travel ball. He's got to play year-round if he wants to make it. He played baseball. What was it? Baseball, football, hockey, even boxing, obviously basketball. Uh, Just a different time. But anyway, without further ado, let me bring in my guest, two-time All-Star, former Major League pitcher, now broadcaster, Mark Gubiza. You the man, Mark. All right, I am with one of the great pitchers in Major League Baseball. Very good broadcaster. You're looking like you're in great shape. You got a big smile on your face. You still love coming to the ballpark, Mark? Every day, every day. I mean, for me, it's always a treat. Regardless of what the team's playing right now, the Angels, you know, just be able to go to the ballpark and watch something we may not ever see again during the course of a game. I mean, I'm excited to see the Rays. They've done so many amazing things. Uh, even watching these guys, some of our young players on the Angels going out there and performing. Some of these guys were in college. I joke around about five and a half seconds ago. Here they are in the big leagues. It's pretty cool to see. You know, I was just, I put a picture up the other day. It popped up of Don Zimmer, the late great Don Zimmer. And I remember when he was here, he was 65 years in Major League Baseball. And he would always say, I still will see something that I've never seen before. Is that's baseball, isn't it? Oh, no doubt. I mean, obviously, all these these years working and watching Shohei Otani doing the stuff he has done, and I'm going, wow, that's Babe Ruth. And I don't even know if Babe Ruth was doing the stuff that Shohei was doing. So, I mean, it's a blast. I mean, I, I want to see – I mean, I still get a big thrill out of a tremendous defensive play, and I think we're starting to see that now because the shifts are no longer in there. There's so many great athletes in the game right now. I just love a great defensive play, a great swing. A well-located fastball is always a good pitch, too. There you go, and you were known for throwing hard. Uh, 
Your father was a big influence on you in your career, was he not? Yeah, I mean, I think it all started because I have three older brothers. He was a mailman back in Philly. Uh, just watching him going to work every day, I mean, dealing with weather and everything else, dogs, you know, going up and down these row homes and stuff. But this is work ethic. He played minor league baseball with the White Sox in the early 50s. He really didn't say a whole lot about that because I don't think I look back, I see baseball references, numbers. I always joke, I said, Dad, you had better career numbers as a hitter than a pitcher. And then I got that not a real happy smile on his face. But he all, I mean, he's literally, I kid you not, my first year in, in Big Lakes during the All Star break, we happened to end up first half in Baltimore I was in Kansas City and we opened up the second half in Kansas in New York so he caught me with his bare hands I was throwing bullpens with him in the old Little League field and he was catching with his bare hand he had those big catchers mid hands carrying the mail, mail bag all the way around so he always uh, every day he would say hey son just go out and treat this as your your dream job and don't ever lose respect for the game and 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 one thing also, he says, if any fan ever asks you for an autograph, you better not ever say no to sign everything. Wow, wow. So when you got called up to the show, everybody that I talked to is like, oh my God, it's surreal. They remember it like it's yesterday. But how big of it was it for you, for your dad? When? No, oh, it was amazing. So here we are. Uh, at, at that point, they don't even tell you when you make the team the manager. So they're just kind of like me and Saberhig, and we're just kind of hiding our bags in, in the back of the you know, bus and everything else. And go, Nobody said to get off the bus yet. So then we land in Kansas City, we're airport, we're driving on the I-70, go behind Royal Stadium. There was a little bit of mist in the air. And the big crown back there behind it, you see it go down. I, I remember running in there calling my dad, go, my dad, you cannot believe where I'm at. I'm in Kansas City. I'm at the Royal Stadium right now. And I go, and just watching and looking at this big KC Royal symbol in the background with the, with the you know, the mist. And he goes, son, you're living a dream. Just don't ever wake up. Wow, wow. Just a couple more. What do you think was the key to your success on your longevity and being successful for so long? Well, what do you think was the key? I think uh, never afraid to ask questions. I went up and asked Tom Seaver, you know, because he was a drop and drive pitcher like me. And I, and I used to crush my knee every every day. So I said, what, what did you do to stay out there? He goes, you know what? Don't you remember playing basketball as a kid? There's white knee pads. I said, so I put that on and put my uniform over and never had another knee issue the rest of my career. And that was right away in, in my first year in 84, talking to Jim Palmer about how to pitch. Don Drysdale came down and went in the office with me and talked to me an hour and a half why I should be a much better pitcher than I was at that point. And I learned so much from him. Wow. How did you get into broadcasting? When you were playing, did you think you would be a broadcaster or was it till you were all done? You know what, I'll be honest, I, I had no idea this would ever come about. I mean, I used to mess around as, as pitchers. We were, we were either flicking sunflower seeds or we're pretending we're, I was, I was pretending I was Harry Callis going up in Philly doing games. So I, I would pretend, but this at a random Fox you know, Sports just called me up and said, what I do on audition? I'm like, how'd you get my cell phone number? And yeah, I'll go do it. So I went in there and did an audition with Steve Sachs, Ron Darling. We were all like, we never done this before. And all I remember doing, I see the red light on the camera. So wait a minute, they never told me anything. So I said, I better look at that camera. So then I looked at it and then they said, ah, good job. We'll call you later on. I'm like, oh, the old saying, we'll call you back. And then that night they called me and that started my whole career. Wow. Last two. How are you just as enthusiastic when you get to the ballpark now? You've been broadcasting for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is my 17th year doing it here with the Angels, uh, you know, five or six other years doing pre and post and other stuff. But every day, like I, I, like I said, I, I start at 8 o'clock in the morning. I start giving my information to our producer, the director, and all our stats guys. 
Because I mean, my, my adrenaline's going as soon as I wake up. And then as soon as I get to the ballpark, I'm like, I, just, I don't care where we're at. I don't care if the weather's good, weather's bad. It's still the coolest thing to be at a ballpark. All right, my last one. I ask everybody, you made it to the top. What is the best piece of advice? Maybe it's not even baseball, just a young person trying to succeed. You've been successful as a broadcaster and, of course, as a player. What's the best piece of advice? I think my, my biggest thing, too, is if, if you have a passion for anything, just, just go for it. Don't let anybody ever tell you, no, 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 because I've been told I, I'm not going to be able to do this. Somebody go, well, you, you're not going to be able to do this stuff with the Angels. You have, still have an East Coast accent. You know, eventually you lose a little bit of that playing in Kansas City and everywhere else. But if you have a passion for something, don't let, let anybody ever tell you you can't do it. So just go out there and fight hard to do whatever you can. Thank you so much. Continued success. Thank you. I appreciate that. Good dude. Once again, really, really nice guy. Thanked me up and down. I couldn't thank him enough. And once again, I just walked right up to him. You know, I had somebody the other day hit me up on Facebook. I was like, oh, whoever is booking your guest deserves a raise. Books my guest. Not only do I not book my guest, I just go up to them. <laughs> How about that? And, and, you know, some, some have been set up, not many, uh, but I like to do them in person. And I think it just, it sounds good. You know what I mean? You're looking at your guest eye to eye, but we'll see going forward. Maybe if I can get some big, 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 big names, it might have to be on the phone. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. All right. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. All right. Story time. Here we go. So since it was Mark Gubaza, since it was a baseball guy. I do have a couple of football stories in here, but I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? There have been some embarrassing times for me, uh, and I'm going to tell you about them. There have been some times where I have lucked out. There's been other times where you, there's no way you could get away with what I was able to get away with now. It's just a different time. And I was trying to think back to some of my more memorable interviews times, situations, and let me start off, since we're baseball, you think this could happen today? Maybe it could. Going all the way back, this is when the Rays were the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. I was working in TV. Most of these were TV, some were radio. The Major League Baseball had come out with their, uh, they were kind of being very, they were not kind of, they were being strict on, they were going to cut down on the steroid use. It was running rampant. I think I told you guys I went to Jose Canseco's house in South Florida. Uh, he now since has sold that thing. Uh, but I always had a good relationship with Jose Canseco. And I called him up. He said he was going to he was going to write a book. He was going to blow the doors off of uh, of of baseball and steroid. How many guys were doing steroids? And he was going to name names. And I, I called him up. He had a handler. And I said, can I do an interview? Jose, tell him it's Rock Riley from Tampa, Bay News 9, Tampa Bay. Tell him it's Rock Riley. So he did. He's like, okay. But it was still like they were, all right, you can come down here to the house. Um, and then they were like, how much are you going to pay us? I'm like, no, 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 no. We don't pay for interviews. Oh, oh. And again, it wasn't Jose directly I was dealing with. Conseco, it was his handler. And I'm like, no, we don't pay for interviews. All right. And he got to talk with Jose. Come on down. So we, we drove down, Chris Elias, my man, and we drove down. It was a couple of hours away. We stayed overnight, 
And then even when we were getting directions the next morning to come to Jose Canseco's house because he was going to do this interview, this is before he wrote, he was writing the book and he was going to give me some exclusive stuff and name some names. And his handler said, he won't do it unless you give us money. I'm like, no, we already came down here. We stayed overnight. We got our gear. We're ready to go. No, 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 no. No, you got to pay us some money. No. And I think it was, to turn out that we had to bring him food or something? I don't know what it was. No, no, we just don't do that. And all right, you can come anyway. And we get there, and Jose Canseco had a thing on his website where if you wanted to spend the day with Jose, it would cost you, I don't know, say $1,500 or something. And you'd be able to go swimming in a pool with him, and there would be a cookout and stuff like that. And it was it was incredible. We get down there. Jose comes out. He had just worked out. He had a he had a uh, weight room set up in his garage, and you know he had a tank top. He was looking good. He was always you know, very in shape. Always liked to lift, and he was like he had a big smile. I'm telling you, I got along with Jose really really good. But I remember on his dining room table, he had his uh, spikes. He had all his memorabilia. He was selling all star stuff. His 30 home runs, 30 steals. Or was it 40-40? It might have been that. I don't know. He was selling everything, man. Hawking everything. He needed money. And even when we were... And then we sat down with the interview, and it was great. And he was like, wait till you hear who I'm going to mention. I saw guys getting shot in the ass with steroids. So-and-so, I've seen pitchers take steroids. It helps their fast twitch muscles, and they recover faster. Uh, where do you hear the big names I'm going to, he was just giving me a lot of stuff. Now he was saving most of the names for the book. I'm like, Jose, aren't you worried? You're going to be blackballed. And he's like, I'm going for it, man. And he really did. I don't know if Jose Canseco didn't come out with his book. If they would have been with these new rules, so stringent on those taking steroids. There were guys, remember the guy Brady from the Baltimore Orioles? All of a sudden he's not a very big guy. You know, he's hitting what? 50 home runs. Was it? You know, uh, it was pretty obvious. Like the home run numbers went way down after Jose's book and after the the stringent rules on t- if you're taking steroids, you're going to be uh, getting suspended. And even when we were there, a, a, a knocking on the doorbell, I'm sitting on the couch. We got TV equipment. Jose's mic'd up. I'm mic'd up. And his handler opens the door. Here comes a kid from Pennsylvania, probably about 20 years old with his girlfriend, they were big Jose Canseco fans. They were there because they paid on the internet to spend the day with Jose. And we met him. And the mother was waiting outside in the car. They flew from Pennsylvania. I don't even know if the kid was 20. He didn't have a driver's license. Maybe he was 19, 18, 17. And I said, what are you going to... And then we met them after the, we finished the interview. And it was like, Jose, well, what do you got in store for him? Jose said, well, we're going to uh, go in, uh, in the swimming pool. And then we're going to... Uh, I got a cookout. Jose was... He had a grill. He was cooking out for them. Hot dogs, hamburgers, things like that. And then we're going to watch some of my home runs on, on, on tape. On like the VCR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the day. And these kids, the kids couldn't be happier. A guy and his girlfriend. But my point is to lead up to my next story on one of my interviews. So Jose has his book come out. Bud Selig, they 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 put their foot down on steroid users. You're going to be suspended. We're going to test. If you get popped, you're going to be suspended. The first violator 
was a Tampa Bay Devil Rays player, Alex Sanchez, 5'10", maybe 175 pounds. He wasn't like a big guy. He was the first one that was busted. He wasn't a big name. He had just, I think it was his first year, if I remember correctly, from the Detroit Tigers. And he claimed he was innocent. You know, it was over-the-counter stuff that he took. But anyway, he was the first violator. So we get the word, and I started digging a little bit, and I found out that he was going to be working out at the Rays minor league complex. It used to be called the Namoli complex. I pitched there many years. It was right behind the Tyrone Square Mall. So I say to my guy, Chris Elias, uh, let's just go there. Let's just go there. Let's just go to the Namoli complex, man. And this wasn't set up, anything else. So we get in the car, we bring our TV, our gear, we go to the Namoli complex, we go out, I see the minor leaguers that are going to be working out, and that day Alex Sanchez, he wasn't allowed to be with the big club, but he was going to, he was, and, and so I see a guy that I know, his name was Big Pete, he was in charge of taking care of the fields. I knew him from years ago. I pitched in a league where he had a team, and he, he always like he said, hey, Rock, what are you doing? I said, hey, what's up, Pete? I said, is Alex Sanchez here, man? He goes, yeah, he's right over there. He's on that field right there. And nobody else was around. There was no PR around. I mean, like I say, I don't know if I do this now. I don't want to have my credential pulled. And I don't know if my man Rick Vaughn is listening to this. Uh, he used to be the PR director, and he's a friend of mine. But sometimes you got to take that chance. And so we just walked down. We walked down. Nobody was around. We walked down to the field. There's Alex Sanchez. I say, hello, Alex. He had broken English. How are you? My name is Rock Riley. What happened, man? And we just started rolling. And he's like, I know, I know, break the law. You know, I, I take a supplements, you know, and I don't know. I, I don't take anything. Look at me. I'm not a home run hitter. You know, da, da, da. boom. And we had an exclusive. How about that? So there was a situation where sometimes you just got to go, take the chance. I remember a friend of mine that worked in, news, in the newspaper business and his boss, he used to work at the Tampa Tribune, his boss was saying, you know, you guys got to be here in the office more. And he's like, why do we have to be in the office more? He's like, you got to be in the office more. He's like, okay, you want us to come to the office. Is anybody going to knock on the door of the front of the office and, and say, uh, I got a breaking story for you here and come to the office. No, you got to go out, go to, go to the field, go to the, where they are. So anyway, that was one that I thought was interesting. Um, one, okay. Another, another guy, one of my favorites, man, that I ever covered, his name was Johnny Gomes. He was a major league baseball hitter. He took his hacks he loved to swing for the fences during batting practice. He was with the Tampa Bay Rays. I remember he was with the Boston Red Sox. He was a guy from Cali. Um, they didn't think that he would make it. He made it. He was the, like a clubhouse guy that everybody liked. You know, like one of those regular guys, like a good dude. And I remember where we were waiting before the game uh, and the word was going around the Rays are sending Johnny Gums down. They were sending him down to AAA. And so there was a handful of us, 
maybe three or four reporters that were waiting outside the clubhouse. Uh, Johnny Gomes comes out, and I noticed that his his eyes were like red, you know, and I I liked him a lot, and and, and, I, and I said Johnny, are you crying? And he's like, I'm not crying, you know, I'm not crying. I wasn't crying. And then he did the interview or something. And I remember that interview went around because it was like, there's no crying in baseball. And a couple of people were saying, I can't believe you asked him if he was crying. I'm, I'm interviewing him and his eyes are red. He would look like he was crying, but he, but he, I remember his aunt said, I, I wasn't like I was trying to put him down or anything, but you know, his eyes were red. I'm like, are you crying, man? And he was like, no, I believe that I'm a major league player. You know, I disagree with this, but, you know, that's what Skip wants to do, this and that. So we fast forward when he comes back up. He wasn't down for long. He comes back up, and the Rays win the ALCS. And he was not even on the roster, like the playoff roster, the postseason roster. But he was such a good guy that he was allowed to be around the team. He still, even though he wasn't on the roster, and it wasn't like he was going to be watching it up in his suite. He wasn't going to watch it at his house. And when the Rays clinched and they were going to go to the World Series and were out on the field and the crowd is still there on their feet and some of the players were going around with champagne. They were on top of the dugout. They were walking around spraying it on center field, this and that, and I'm out there. And I see Johnny Gomes and he's got a bottle of booze and then he had a, a cup. And I said, Johnny, the Rays are going to the World Series. How does it feel, Johnny Gomes? And I remember him saying, it's fucking great. And boom. And he takes this boot and he chugs it. And he did. we did it live on the air. And I was like, that. this is my guy. And I also know that uh, a friend of mine, Brian Nobbs, Brian Nasty Boy Nobbs, he's one half of the Nasty Boys, former WWF tag team champions, character, character, character. He became friends with Johnny Gomes, and he used to go to the Vinoy Hotel and do some uh, drinking with Johnny Gomes, and they became good friends. And then when Nobbs started the Legends of Pro, Re Legends of Wrestling, you know, former WWF wrestlers, they uh, some big names, and they started doing uh, some wrestling matches after uh, Major League Baseball games in Major League Baseball stadiums. And Johnny Gomes, who was his friend, they would party together, got in the ring. After a Rays game, he put on wrestling like his stuff, and he and he got in the ring. <laughs> he wrestled. He wrestled a little bit. Just a really, really good guy. But I remember two interviews. One, are you crying? And and the drinking and the uh, live on TV. That that was kind of that was really, really, really neat. Speaking of, and you know what? Speaking of the Vinoy, now this it. it well, he came on the he came on the Sports Connection show. Robin Zander is the lead singer for Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I guess back in the day, like Robin Zander must have watched Bay News Nine, and I had a half hour show live every night. It was at eleven o'clock, and then it was maybe ten thirty, and so he must have seen me because. 
I somehow I was able to get an interview. He came into the studio to do an interview with me. Oh, he was involved with Chichi Rodriguez's. Chichi Rodriguez was a, a golfer. There's a Chichi Rodriguez golf uh, club uh, course, and Chichi does these things for kids. And Robin Zander was on the board. Robin Zander lives in the area where I live, Clearwater Sa- Safety Harbor. He's a Safety Harbor guy, Safety Harbor, Florida. And he's, he's just a good dude. And I didn't know, I had never met Robin Zander, but I remember when he came in, he was like, Rock, how are you? He couldn't have been nicer. And he's like, oh, he must know me. And I guess he had watched and he was a fan or something. I couldn't believe it. So fast forward, we had a nice interview. He was great. And uh, he's just a hell of a singer. And he's a good guy. For someone that's that big of a star, like an, a rock star, good guy. So I'm walking with my wife. It might have been with my son or daughter. I don't remember. But we were walking in downtown St. Pete. And Robin Zander comes up to me in the street near the Vinoy Hotel. And he's like, Rock, how are you? I said, Robin, how are you? This is my wife, da 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 And he's like, what are you doing, man? Just hanging. We're just down here downtown St. Pete today, da 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 And he's going, listen, man, we're playing at Janice Landing. Janice Landing is a music venue in downtown St. Pete. And he's like, "You, come, what do you got going on? You coming to the show? I'm like, well, I, we were just down here walking, Robin. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't mind. He goes, listen, man, we're staying at the Vinoy. Here's my alias name that I'm staying under. Come on up to the room. Come on up. My wife is going to be there. Da, 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 da. He gave me his alias and his fake name. We'll have tickets for you tonight. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, this guy is so nice. How about that? Now, we couldn't. I don't know. We didn't have any plans or maybe plans. We had something for that night. I couldn't make the show. But I also ran into Robin Zander at a place in Clearwater in the parking lot. And he was with his son. And he introduced me to his son. And he just stopped me. I was driving by. And years later, I'm at TIA. I'm getting on a flight. And his son had now grown up. And his son comes over to me. We were getting ready to get on this flight. And he's like, Rock, I'm Robin Zander's son. How are you, man? Good, good. He had a guitar with him. He was on his way to Nashville. He had just moved to Nashville. And he was going to try to make it in the music business on his own name, not Robin Zander's son. And then I've seen uh, not that long ago that Robin Zander has done some gigs with his son here in the Tampa Bay area. And I thought that was cool. But that's just like, it's not a, it's just like a, a kind of a neat story, you know, be, be behind the scenes. Um, just to show you, all right, you, you want some X-rated stuff now? <laughs> you ready? You ready? You ready? You ready? Uh, I may have told this on one of my episodes, one of these stories. All right. So for years, for, I was at Bay News 9 for 18, but for 14 years, we had a live call-in show on TV. No delay system. In radio, if you're listening to talk radio and they're taking calls, they have a delay system. It's a seven-second delay. If somebody says, shit, fuck, boom, you got seven set. You hit that button and it, it, it delays it and you don't hear it. It doesn't go out over the air. 
the host will hear it, the board op will hear it. Well, in TV, we didn't have that. And so I took calls. And there were, there were years, there were days where I would get crank called. It, it seemed to be if it was like a really uh, passionate, like football, whether it's Bucks, Gators, you're talking football, guys are really passionate about their takes. I wouldn't get cranked too much. If you had a slow day and not much was going on, that's when sometimes you would get crank called. My, my thing would be when I was on and if I got a crank call, don't make a big thing out of it. Just move on. Because if you say, oh, we want to keep it clean, oh, nothing dirty like that, you're going to be run up if you say something bad, no bad words. That just, oh, some, then you're going to get, guy. Let, let me jump on and crank call him, right? That's how it went. There was one, and we used to do a post-game show for Bucks Live, and we would take a lot of, we would get so many calls. And it was a time where the Bucks were in the doldrums. And I don't, you know, and a guy called up, and I'd never forget. And he goes, Rock, I'm so mad. I'm so pissed off. I'm about ready to beat my fucking wife. And it went over the airways. Now, a lot of guys heard that, and they repeated that to me over the years. They thought that was hysterical. I just, I would just deadpan move on to the next caller or just pretend like, because what you do is you put it in your audience's mind. Did I really hear that? Did he say that? Another time we were doing a, a thing after a Bucks game and, and a caller called up and said, Rock, I was in Hooters and I saw the Bucks quarterback getting the, getting the, you know, a BJ under the table uh, from one of the waitresses. Yeah, 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 yeah. Boom. Just move on. Just move on. And I'll never forget, it wasn't a lot. There was a handful of times, but I mean, you get that. We also had the uh, caller ID. And and one of the guys in the back, uh, an audio guy or something, a producer, as soon as the show is done, boom, he would call that. And every single time, it was always a guy. It was never a woman. We'd hear giggling, usually teenagers, uh, stuff like that. We never, when we got crank called and you did caller ID and call that number back, it was never a woman. Girls, women do not crank call. They just can't be, they just can't be bothered. I'm telling you, 14 years, never had a woman crank call. Girls don't do that. They, they, they think it's stupid. They just can't be bothered. They're busy. Um, and then, then I'll never forget, I was in a, a, a bar in St. Pete on like a Friday, Saturday night. I'm walking in with my buddies and we were going in to see a band. It was a place called the Ringside Cafe. Used to be on 4th Street. Or was it? Or anyway, it's moved, blah, blah, blah. And we walked in and I walked in. It was crowded. We went in the side door. We come in. We go right by the stage and there was a band playing and the bassist had a long beard like ZZ Top and he was playing and he stopped playing and he looked at me and he said, Rock Riley, I love when you get crank called. And this was in the middle of a song and I actually laughed my ass off. I'm like, wow. And I've heard people say that over the years, they loved when a crank call came in over the air, live on local TV. You know, I when I was off on a, like say, I did five days a week, 
and then we had uh, a couple of different guys over the years that would be the the part time, you know, do the uh, two days. And when one of them would get crank called, and I would be sitting on my couch with a cold one, I would chuckle myself. But I mean, it's when you're sitting there, you know, and I'm saying, hey, I'm just being honest with you. <laughs> Here's one to tell you how times have changed. Now it's who's first? Who had it first? Who had the breaking news first? I have always been under the assumption, I'm not going to throw something out there unless I really, really have it. But just to show you how kind of wet behind the ears I was or not realizing the magnitude back in the day. Now, I had been a national TV reporter. I had flown to, I was covering everything from the Colorado Rockies, Colorado Rocky, uh, Colorado East. So anything, you know, from World Series, playoffs, uh, NBA championships, all that uh, NFL playoffs, like I, I was covering it. So I, I was, you know, experienced in that. But I, it, the breaking news thing wasn't as big as it is now. Who's first? Who's first? So when I got the job in 1994 at 970 WFLA Radio, I was the uh, weekend, no, the weekday sports anchor, just did updates. And I would provide sound for this Ted Webb, the late, great Ted Webb, who did the morning show with Jack Harris. And I would go out in the field and I'd do little stories and this and that. I had a mate, man. It wasn't, I wasn't getting paid a lot, but I was full-time. It was great. I was single. I was doing a lot of partying. And it was a, I was a good time, man. Good time. And uh, so, but I was new, you know. And so I got here. I was living in an apartment complex right around the corner from the station off of Gandhi Boulevard and Dale, South Dale Mabry called the Lighthouse Bay Apartments. I could actually walk, but it was a long way around and round. You couldn't cut through. There was uh, railroad tracks and, you know, one, maybe one or two times I did that, climb the fence. But, uh, you know, I had a car, but I'm just saying it was that close, that close in this apartment complex. I had just moved down from Colorado. I wanted to get back in the business. I had, you know, I was looking to get back in. It was like, oh, I had this job in radio in Tampa Bay. I'm like, I applied. I got it. I'm like, all right, let me start my life. Let me start my, my life here. Never thought I'd be here my entire time. So Hugh Culverhouse was the owner of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He wasn't very well liked. He was thought of as being a cheapskate. Um, but anyway, he was sickly. He had had cancer. da 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 and there was a report or a rumor. Now, this is before the Internet. Yeah. Some, before the Internet. There are some of you that don't realize there was one time there was no Internet. And it was 1994. My first year here. And so it was in the morning. I wasn't scheduled to come in until about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, work the evening shift, something like that. And, uh, but there was a rumor flying that Hugh Culverhouse had passed away. And so I heard about the rumor. I don't know if somebody called me or whatever. And so I just called, I just called the front desk of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and I knew the receptionist. Stephanie Waller was her name. And I just said, Hey Stephanie, it's rock. Hi rock. Hey, did Hugh Culverhouse die? Yeah, he passed away. Oh, okay. Thanks Stephanie. That was it. 
And then I like brush my teeth and I'm like, you know what? Maybe I, I guess I should go in and let them know. Not even thinking. Do you believe this? But I'm t- not even thinking that I should call in to the board op, Jeff Kirkendall, and let him know. And so I just, you know, I brushed my teeth and got in my car, just drove around the corner, waited at the light, parked in the parking lot, moseyed on in, 4002 Gandhi Boulevard, go into the station. Jack and Ted were sitting in the main studio there at 970, and I said, hey, uh, Hugh Coverhouse did die. He did? Come on. And they, and they put me on. And they were like, we got breaking news. Our sports reporter, Rock Riley, is here. Guys, it's with sad news to tell you that Hugh Culverhouse has passed away. Yeah, it was about with this and that. He had some complications. And he has passed away. All right. Well, blah, blah, blah. Let's just go to the Culverhouse name. Well, Joy Culverhouse, and, you know, his widow. And that was that. And they were all like, oh, my God, Rock Riley got it. Whoa. Rock Riley broke it. I was the first one to break it, break it, break it. I just called who I knew at the front desk. That would not happen today. But I'm just saying, times have changed. Oh, my God, have they changed. (laughs) So what a difference. What a difference, huh? And uh, you know what? There's a couple of different. I got a couple of things here. I was just thinking about, should should I even tell you? Uh... You know what? If you see me around, ask me about the story that I did not tell you on the Rock Stops Here podcast, and I will tell you that story. And then there's one that I'm never going to tell anybody. But anyway, I just love some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. I think I'm more of a behind-the-scenes guy than an, than an X's and O guy. I'm really not. The one time where I was so scared for an entire weekend... An entire weekend, I was on 620 WDAE. We were getting a call from Warren Sapp, Buccaneer Hall of Famer. He was playing. I don't know if I was on 970 or I was on 620. I know I, I was on 620. They had the all-sports station at that. And it, Warren was, there was something that he was plugging because he didn't really do many interviews unless he really knew you, was friends with you, you know. He really, and so he was doing it. And I said, Warren Sapp from the University of Marijuana. And see, it came out right before the draft. And Warren, you believe it now in this day and age? Oh, Warren Sapp smoked pot. And he fell in the draft a couple of spaces. Oh, he's a pothead. You know, can you imagine the way it is now with legally? Anyway, and I didn't mean, I meant the University of Miami. I didn't mean to say University of Marijuana. And Warren said, what'd you say? You know, this and that. So he, I think he finished like the, the interviewer a little bit. And then he called our, the station, spoke to the boss. I got called down. This was on a Friday. And I, he said, what did you do? Did you embarrass him, University of Marijuana? I was like, I, I, I don't know how why it came out. And I told everybody on the air, I said, you know what? On Monday morning, I'm going to go to practice and I'm going to I'm going to man up and, and apologize to him, man up. So I had to wait a whole weekend. And if you know Warren Sapp, he's big, he's strong, he's loud and he intimidates me. And I was scared shitless. And then I waited and I had to wait a whole damn weekend. 
and you know I'm 5'10 185 maybe I was 175 at the time and Warren Sapp what did he go and he would he could pulverize me and I waited and I waited and here he comes and he had his helmet upside down high up on his helmet and he was high stepping he was he was a character and he was walking right towards me I said Warren it's Rock Riley I apologize for saying that you went to the University of Marijuana on Friday and he's like what bad bad no big thing man and just walked by and I had so much relief I thought I was gonna crap my pants I I shy <laughs> But anyway, anyway, there you go. There you stink and go. So I think that's about it for today. You know, the um, they had the announcement that the Rays are going to get the new stadium. And, you know, God willing, I will still be here in 2028 when they're going to play their first game. I was there for the opener. I was, uh, you know, I was in the stands for the first ever game with the Colorado Rockies in Mile High Stadium. As a fan, I carried a big cooler with a buddy that was on a baseball team with me, a styrofoam cooler, and drank beer at the uh, gate outside the stadium. And there is an aerial shot of Mile High Stadium opening day Colorado Rockies, and there's an aerial shot of a styrofoam cooler. That was mine that I left there and had to go in, and I was a fan at the time. And then uh, I was able to be at opening day for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, and now here we are, 2028, and it will be opening day, and God willing, I'll still be able to go and still be around. But anyway, anyway, that's enough for today with the stories. Listen, my thanks to Mark Gubaza. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed the truth. And uh, I'll talk to you next week on The Rock Stops Here. If you're not subscribed, hit it, man. Leave a review. All right. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later.